Colossians chapter 3, and let's consider for a few minutes the full-time Christian service that we owe the Lord Jesus Christ on our jobs, and that we might learn a Christian work ethic that our Father in Heaven has been so gracious to teach us in the Bible, that if it were practiced, it will result in the highest possibility and probability of your financial and professional success. If not practiced, you shall receive for the wrong that you have done. Colossians chapter 3, let me read to you the four verses that I mentioned to you and quoted to you before we began this assembly. Colossians 3.22, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Obey all things masters in the flesh. Not with eye service, not with eye service, as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. God does not care about your pay grade, your position, your title, or anything else about you. He doesn't care if you're a master or a servant. You are accountable to Him and He will judge you according to how you treat His rules for a Christian work ethic that He was so kind to teach us in the Bible. A work ethic is not known by a nation or a culture. A work ethic is taught by principle and character and it's a choice by men to learn how to work hard and to work wise and to work faithfully and to work submissively and all the other things that the Bible teaches us about working on the job. But notice the words, for ye serve the Lord Christ, that end verse 24. How do ye serve the Lord Christ? For ye serve the Lord Christ when you're cutting down a tree. For ye serve the Lord Christ when you're putting in a windshield. When you're balancing a teller window. When you're making biscuits. When you're getting all the point of sale terminals to agree and work and communicate right. You serve the Lord Christ. We are not going to be led astray by the error of many others that want to make serving the Lord Christ going to the mission field. You know, they badger you every single week of your life that you are a second-class Christian and you're not amounting to anything because you won't come forward and agree to go preach the gospel to people throwing boomerangs in New Zealand or New Guinea. That is not taught in the Bible. Find me one verse in all the general epistles of the Apostle Paul. Start with Romans and end with Hebrews and see if you can find me one verse. There isn't one verse there. But do you think I can find one verse about serving the Lord Christ on the job? Can I find two? Can I find three? Can I find four, five, six, seven? How many do you want me to find about being a good Christian by getting up tomorrow morning and serving the Lord Christ on the job that He's called you to do? We've already considered this subject a little a few weeks ago. Christians work sufficiently. What we mean by that is Christians do whatever it takes to fulfill their obligations toward their family because if you do not provide for your family, then you are worse than an infidel and you've denied the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. The religion of Christianity means you do whatever it takes. 
And we had a brother speak up a few weeks ago when we were asking for prayer requests and say that about the generation that has risen in this country. They don't understand that when there was a generation just a few years ago that understood it. If it took two jobs, you did it. If it took three jobs, you did it. If it took gobs of overtime, you did it. So we worked sufficiently. Sufficient for the task. God's given us financial goals. Those goals, those duties are not just suggestions. They're requirements for the God of heaven of what a Christian will achieve financially. He will pay his own way through life so that he's not eating the bread of other men. He will have more than that so that he can give to those that are in need. He will have more than that so that he can give to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. All taught in the Bible. But we already went over that. We work sufficiently. We work passionately. Here it says, whatsoever you do, do it heartily. It's not talking about singing in the church choir. It's talking about going to work tomorrow and you do it with your heart. You put your heart into it. How do you make biscuits? Do you work up a sweat? I know you don't want anybody to know that you sweat, Anna. But do you work up one anyway? Do you do it heartily? Intense. That's one thing we like about Brother Zach, isn't it, Adam? He's intense. Do you do it with your heart? Passion, zeal, energy, enthusiasm, power, excitement, pressure, speed. Because you do it heartily. And you know what? When you're doing something heartily, there's a reward just in doing it heartily. And this this is our Father. We have a loving Father. He is sitting down beside the fireplace, if you will, if you need a word picture. And he's saying, child, I want you to be successful. Son, young man, I want you to be successful. Here are my rules on how you can make it in this world. There are a bunch of pagans out there and they're all greedy. But guess what? When they find a good worker, they're going to pay him well because they're greedy. Do you understand? Greed helps Christians. Not when they're the ones that are greedy, but when they work for a greedy man. Because they help that man make money. Christians work passionately. Paul said it's a good thing to always be zealously affected in a good thing. To do anything that you have with zeal. I was so underqualified for my my second banking job. They said, we don't know what you're here for, but you're the most enthusiastic person we've ever met, and I got the job. You know, see, I didn't have the qualifications. And if you don't have the qualifications, make up for it in zeal. Give them, show them some energy. Oh, I didn't have all the degrees and pedigrees and whatever else they wanted. I probably didn't even know how to spell them. But we work heartily as unto the Lord. We work conventionally. Do you remember that rule? Conventionally means we adapt ourselves to those that we're working for. If they want you to get a regular haircut, then you get a regular haircut. If they don't want, if they want, if they don't want facial hair, you get rid of your facial hair. If they have a dress code, then you cheerfully wear that dress code. If you need to lose some weight, you lose some weight. If you're working in a business situation, you need to wear business attire, then get some business attire. Your ideas on dress do not count. They're worthless compared to your employer. Because you are presenting His image to the public. You're presenting His image to the other employees, and He wants you to look the part. Somebody grabbed me after that sermon and said, and I love this rule and I'd heard it before, but I'd forgot it. You all dress of the rank above you or the, 
or to the level of position that you aspire, you want to dress like them. Because if you dress like the rank that you're in, guess where you're going to stay? Right there. But if you want to get to the next level, then dress like that next level. You say, but that's just an appearance. Yeah, like this. Remember? I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Was Paul willing to bend everything that he could? Was Paul willing to become weak to those that are weak? Was he willing to become as without law to those that were without law in order to win those without law? The Bible wants us to be conventional. Did I give you Bible examples? Did Esther choose to be conventional? When she was called in to go before King Ahasuerus, did she take anything of her preference? Or does the Bible specifically tell us she went to the chamberlain that was responsible for all those virgins to take them into the king and said, whatever you think I should wear is what I'll put on. Is that in the Bible? Guess who won that beauty contest? Winner take all. She did. And we went from there. Joseph. Did Joseph understand that to be conventional and to be successful in Egypt, he would need to take care of the nation of Egypt, which were pagans, and to take care of their religion? By taking care of their religion, was he saying that was the God he worshipped? No. The God he worshipped showed himself through Joseph's life by being conventional. We went on and on. Remember? Naaman? Naaman worshipped the Lord God of heaven. But he, he did not go to his boss and assassinate him because he was going to have to go into the house of Rimen. He just bowed with him, and while he's bowing, he's saying to himself, what a stupid thing to bow to a piece of rock. And then he, then he raised back up and said, yes, sir. Because it was a stupid thing to bow to a piece of stone. But convention. Christians work sacrificially. They know that great workers sometimes face difficulty, loss, or pain, but they do it. The Apostle Paul, when he was at Thessalonica, gave a great example by working day and night, preaching and sowing tents. Not because he didn't have power to have the church at Thessalonica pay for his service as an apostle, but to give them an example because there were lazy workers in that church. Joseph gave a great example, working sacrificially when he was in prison. Would you have been a little upset that you had been falsely accused of rape when you were so virtuous as Joseph was and you had worked so faithfully for Potiphar and now you're in prison because Potiphar and his wife put you there? Would you be a little ticked off? But do you know what he did? He was faithful in prison. He didn't beat on the walls and shake his manacles and curse the Egyptians. He was faithful in everything he did. He was conventional and it got him somewhere. It got him to the throne of Egypt along with the blessing of God, of course. Christians work conscientiously. They have an owner's mentality. Does the Bible teach that a Christian has an owner's mentality? He that keepeth the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof, and he that waiteth on his master shall be honored. That's working conscientiously with an owner's mentality. When you go to work, you should be thinking about the owner and the store manager. How can I help him make money? And the way I help him make money is make the best biscuits faster than anyone else. And as soon as I'm done, I go ask him, what else can I do? And as soon as I don't have anything to do, I punch out. But you know what the average worker does? When they punch in, they think they've done something good. They should start getting paid. And they should get paid all the way up until they punch out. But how much did you accomplish in between? If you don't make money for the man that hired you, the man that hired you will eventually not have a business and you will eventually not have a job. This is how the Lord tells us to work. To work conscientiously. 
And there were lots of verses that we went through. Even on that point, a new point. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Christians work modestly. What I mean by this is not that you wear modest attire. That would be under another issue outside of employment. But Christians work modestly in that they don't care what kind of a job they have to take in order to provide for their family. They work modestly. They're not in it for praise. They're not in it for position. They're not in it for honor or for titles. They'll work any job that the Lord gives them and do the best they can at it. Christians work modestly. Christians will work any job in any industry or do anything that is needed if that's what it takes. We're the children of the high king of heaven. And it doesn't matter what we do on earth. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 22. He that is called in the Lord, being a servant, should go tell his master that he's going to run away because slavery is against the Bible. No, Joseph didn't do that. You know, Joseph was bought in manacles on a slave trading block. Joseph went home to Potiphar's house and was the best he possibly could be. Joseph then went to prison where he was falsely accused of rape. Was the best he could possibly be. He worked for the Egyptians that were pagan idol worshippers. Was the best he could possibly be. It doesn't matter what job you're in. You do it the best you can. Watch how the Lord reasons. 1 Corinthians 7.22 He that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's freeman. Likewise also... He that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. So if we have the right mentality, we're never looking at our boss, or in this case, our master, in a negative light and hating him and resenting him. We realize, this is the position that God ordained for me when He created me and put me on earth, and He called me in this position to be His own child, so I'm going to be content with it. And I'm going to be the best at it. Because though I am my master's servant, I am the Lord's freeman. And even if you were a free, if you, there's, bond, there's bond servants in the Bible and there's hired servants. If you were a hired servant and you considered yourself somewhat of a free man, you're the Lord's servant. So the Bible tells us how to reason when we're on the job. So we work modestly. It doesn't matter if you're a servant. It doesn't matter how low your job is. It doesn't matter what terrible task they ask you to do. Go do that task and do it with zeal. If you do it with zeal, you know what the average person thinks? If I go do that, if I go do that dirty little task, and if I do it well, then they're just going to make me do that all the time. Wrong. You're forgetting two things. The greed of man and the goodness of God. Because you will rise if you will go do that task cheerfully. Absolutely. You know, that idea of protecting myself, I'm, I'm not going to do that. There's other people that can do that. Get the night shift to do that. That's a terribly dirty job. Have you ever heard anything like that? Get the night shift to do it. If you want a slave, get yourself one, but I'm not going to do it. Going down, anyone? I'm the bellboy. Here's the elevator. Going down? Do you want to go up? Go do it and do it better than it's ever been done before. And come and say, yes, sir. And get to it and do it well and come back and say, what else do you have for me to do? If he isn't greedy enough to promote you to make more money from you, God will. Always has, always will. Wait till you're a manager and you have somebody that talks that way to you. 
you're going to wish we were under the Old Testament. That is not the way we ever talk back. We don't answer again. Doesn't the Bible say that? Not answering again. Does it say all this stuff in the Bible? Am I off on some carnal tangent when I talk about a Christian work ethic? I am not. Do you want to serve the Lord Christ? Do you want the reward of the inheritance? Then listen and go to work tomorrow and be and work like a Christian. And I believe you do. But let's do better. Let's do better at it. We can. Proverbs 28 and verse 19. We're talking about working modestly. You know, everybody wants to drive a sports car. A Ferrari would be preferable. Ferrari, Lamborghini, convertible would be preferable. Wear Rolex. Have a couple cell phones. And cruise around and check in on all your commercial enterprises. I know. But what if you had to follow behind the butt end of a mule or an ox and watch it relieve itself every hour on the hour as you turn the dirt as a farmer in the Bible? Do you know what? Every one of us lives by the farmer. Even the king is served by the field. Everything you eat today is going to come from some farmer somewhere. And the Bible wants every man in every calling to be content with that calling and to do his best at it. That does not mean that if in the ordinary course of things you're able to get a better job, you shouldn't go get it. Go get it. We live in a wonderful economy where you can do that. But you should be content on that given day when you go to work to do your best. The Bible's full. Proverbs has quite a few verses like this one. 28.19 He that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread. But he that followeth after vain persons shall have poverty enough. When you're out there walking behind that ox, and it stinks, and it's hot, and it's hard, and you're not going to get paid for another four months. You know, some of you complain about being paid monthly. Some of you complain about being paid bi-weekly. But what about not getting paid for four months because you're a farmer? It's actually a whole year, but I'm just going to leave that. You're plowing. And the guy pulls up in his Ferrari and tells you he's got a business opportunity for you. And he's taking calls on his cell phone. Because he wants you to go sell his overpriced soap for him. That's called Amway. 98% of all Amway people made negative money. 98% of all Amway distributors made, ne- made negative return on buying overpriced soap and trying to sell it to their friends and church members. The man that plows his field, he plows his field well and he goes home and he sleeps well at night because a laboring man sleeps well. The guy in the Ferrari can't sleep well because he's wondering if the company that he leased it from is going to demand it back because he doesn't really own it and the watch on his wrist. And he's wondering if tomorrow he's going to find another hundred suckers that will go sell high-priced soap for him. The man who plows his field, he goes home, he's content, he knows what he's done, what God said. He worked hard, he's tired, but he feels good about it because his body has relieved and has released endorphins. He feels great. He sleeps peacefully, he gets up in the morning and he does it again. God blesses his harvest, he buys another ox, he has ten boys, they go out and plow other fields, and pretty soon he owns the county. Where's the guy with the Rolex? He's trying his third multi-level scheme. And all the people that he got the first time and the second time around won't talk to him this time, so he's gone. As an example, 
comparing working your boring job well compared to listening to vain ideas about business opportunities. There's no business there except can you find more suckers. Business is taking dirt and bringing produce out of it and selling it for a profit. That's a business opportunity. There's an opportunity looking at the ground. If I turn this ground over and put one kernel of corn in it, God is going to cause a 12-foot stalk to grow up in just a couple of months, and on that stalk is going to be one, two, or three ears of corn with 16 rows of 50 kernels. That's a return of 800 to 1 if it's only one ear on the stalk. That is return. But you learn to work modestly because any time you let your mind start playing around with There's got to be a better job than this. Well, if you're going to do that, do that at home at night for ten minutes, but don't do it on the job. While you're on the job, work as hard as you can because it's the job God gave you. And you know why you're in that job? Because you're relatively good at it. Whatever it is. Look at this. The example we read in 1 Corinthians 7 was if you're a servant, don't resent it. You're the Lord's freeman. That's a great, what a great text about a Christian work ethic and how we ought to work. There's profit in all labor. Look at 14.23. People always want to talk about a, a better this and a better that. Very few of them have a better this or a better that. You know why they're talking to you? Because they're not making any money unless you put some in their pocket. Do you understand that? It's amazing how many people don't understand that. Do you know why they're telling you about their business opportunity? Because their business opportunity isn't good enough to support them unless they get you to fall for it. You know what? If they had a product, they wouldn't even have to come and tell you. It would sell itself. Every good product sells itself. It takes over the world if it's a real product. Have you ever heard of IBM using multi-level marketing to sell computers? Really? Really? Are you kidding? As soon as they made one, everybody in the world wanted one. You didn't have to tell them about it. They just got it. 14.23, in all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. So when, you're working, when you work modestly, it means that we work at any job or any industry that God gives us and we do it well and we don't worry about what's outside. We don't worry that something might be greener on the other side of the fence. We're content with what God gives us. When you face difficult employment circumstances, any, any job will do fine. And we may face some very difficult employment situations in the coming months. Any job will do. Just give me a job. You could be begging for a job. Whatever job you get, be content with it and do it well. You're the Lord's freeman. Even if if you're a servant, do it well. The Lord will take care of you. But if you don't do it the way that I'm telling you, the Lord won't take care of you. And every man will suffer because you've gone against God's rules for working. Nobody cares what you're driving. Nobody cares what size of house you live in. If you need to downsize your house, it should never cross your mind that somebody's going to think you can't afford the one you're in. Just get out of the one you're in and get into something smaller. It doesn't matter what you drive. That's what I mean by modestly. Don't let anything control you. Like the job, like status, like a car, like a house. Who cares if you move back home, if it makes economic sense and makes money? Get back home. Mama may even do the laundry again. If you do any real job well, by God's wisdom, it turns out to be rewarding. 
Joseph worked hard at being a slave and prison assistant. He got a decent promotion out of it. Ruth gleaned fields in a foreign nation to feed a mother-in-law and all worked out pretty well. How many fields do you think she gleaned after that? David kept sheep well, played his harp well, and was a good captain. He had three jobs in his resume. I kept sheep when no one knew where I was. I played my harp, and I was a decent captain over a thousand. What was his promotion? King. And he had a heart like God's heart. Do you ever read anything in the Bible about David complaining being a shepherd? Or do you find that what you read about him, that he enjoyed it out there? When he was a captain, was he always aspiring to be more than a captain? Or does the Bible tell us very plainly that he was content being a captain? When he was a captain and somebody mentioned to him, did you know that Saul's daughter is being offered to you? What was his response? Who am I? Who am I? I don't deserve the king's daughter. Who am I? But the dowry is a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. Now that sounds like a good contest. You know, that's what got his excitement. Have you read those passages? Do you know what they mean? Do you know the attitude that it's showing? David was totally content to be a captain because it was a decent promotion from being a shepherd. We work modestly. You working modestly right now? One more time, let me say it. Why don't you get the night shift to do that? That's not on my job description. Ever heard these words? You that have ever heard the words, that's not on my job description? (laughs) Going down? Wait till you're a manager and someone says, I've already said that. Lord, help us not to work that way. Not answering again. It's not on my job description. Well, a good boss would would sit right down then at at a word processor and add a paragraph to your job description. This man will forever sweep our parking lots if you have that kind of an attitude. But if you were to say, yes, sir, and run out there and sweep that parking lot, you'll probably never sweep it again. Let me find a short one. Christians work boldly. What does this rule mean? Christians are not intimidated by circumstances to procrastinate. To procrastinate is to put something off to tomorrow, which you could and should do today. But Christians are bold. They go do it. They're not afraid. They're not intimidated. They're not overwhelmed. They're not confused. They're bold. Look at Proverbs 22 and verse 13. This is all in the Bible. The Bible tells you how to be successful in the job. The Bible tells you how to work. And brethren, I do not know what the future holds. But if the future continues in the way that it is right now for the next 18 months, without the grace of God, 50% of this congregation will be unemployed. There is going to be a serious contraction in our country. But God's already told us what to do. Some of you are in better jobs than others. In the sense that your jobs are more necessary than others. Every bit of overhead is going to be cut in this country. That can be. Proverbs 22 and verse 13, look at this. The slothful man saith, there is a lion without. I shall be slain in the streets. You know that there have been commentaries written on these verses. That little tiny verse has this much wisdom. Because it's talking about being intimidated. It's talking about being fearful. It's talking about being scared, confused, procrastinating. The slothful man, notice what kind of a man we're talking about. He's lazy. 
Who comes up with the idea about the lion in the streets? Now, there really isn't a lion out there, but he uses that as an excuse because he doesn't want to go make the job interview that he should. He doesn't want to write the follow-up letter that he should. He doesn't want to work the overtime that he should. He makes up an excuse. There's a lion out there. Have you? Oh, the slothful... Do you know how, what the Bible says? A slothful man can make up more excuses why he doesn't want to work than seven wise men can give him in reasons why he should. The Bible says that. This, there's no lion. There hasn't been a breakout at the zoo. There's no lion in the city streets. Lions don't get into city streets. But this is in the Bible. This is a proverb, a short, pithy statement of Solomon's observations of life that is to teach us wisdom on how we're to live. There's no lion out there. Just get out there and do it. You afraid to go to a door and cold call on somebody? If you're reduced to cold calling, get up to that door. When I was a boy, I couldn't do this verse. There was a lion in every house. My dad wanted Paul and me to build a paper route. But it was Moses and Aaron all over again. I'd sit in the car, ready to have my loins loosed, and Aaron would have to go to the door to try to get a new account, and I'd tell you the truth. I was pitiful. There was a lion in every house. They're, they're going to slam the door in my face. They're going to tell me, what are you little booger doing here trying to sell me that stupid newspaper? So Paul would go, my Aaron, I said I had a hair lip. I couldn't do it. This verse tells me that I was a baby and a fool and a slothful boy. The slothful man saith, there is a lion without, I shall be slain the streets. If I go and speak to so-and-so, it's going to cost me. If I do what you're suggesting, it's going to cost me. No, it isn't. What are you afraid of? Be bold. The righteous are bold as a lion. But the wicked flee when no man pursueth. Listen, if we're living righteously, it gives us courage. The greatest men in the history of the world were men who lived righteously. David was able to run down to meet Goliath because he was living righteously. King Saul couldn't run down to meet him because King Saul was thinking about meeting that witch of Endor. There was two different characters involved. Joseph wasn't afraid about being put in prison. He wasn't afraid of being put in charge of all the Egyptian nation. Now that's a lion. He should have said to Pharaoh right there, listen, I can't handle a job like that. There's ten lions in there. He said, where do you want me to sleep? And where's that woman? Let's get started. I'll run this nation for you. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Look at chapter 20 and verse 4. What's keeping you from pressing hard after something? The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg in harvest and have nothing. You know, in springtime when you plant, it's sometimes cold out there and you've got to get outside. You can't be sitting beside the fire playing Nintendo. I know, I think it's Xbox now or is it Y-Box? Z-Box? Z-Do? What is it? I don't know. Instead of sitting inside, you've got to get outside and work hard. It's cold out there. I don't want to go out and plant. Well, you know what the Bible says about the man that won't get out in the cold and plant? That in harvest time, when everybody's rolling in produce, that man is to be starved to death. 20 and verse 4. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. A man gets a job. He reports to work. It's a construction job. And they tell him, we want you here at 5.30 in the morning. 5.30! In the afternoon? Morning. 5.30! 
I'm used to sleeping in till 8.30. 5.30? It's cold. It's dark. What in the world can we do at 5? I want you here at 5.30. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. I'll tell you what. I love the God of the Bible. I absolutely love Him in every detail. Not especially. Especially because He adopted me to be His son. But even in matters like this. Because if a man wants to complain about a job, then let him starve to death when everyone else is throwing a massive harvest party. I love what he says. Did you read Luke? Was Luke 19? Did you read it? Take that pound from that man and give it to the man with ten. Does it put in parentheses what HR department said? But Lord, he's already got ten. Isn't that what HR would say? He's already got ten. Do you know what the Lord of Heaven says? Take the one from him and give it to the one with ten. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer in God's plan for an economy because they're the only ones that work. Starve them. In the New Testament, Paul would say in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we commanded you when we were with you that if a man would not work, neither should he eat. So we work boldly. We get out there and face whatever task we have to do. Chapter 24 and verse 10. Proverbs 24.10 If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. If just because a little opposition has come up, you quit, your strength is small. You know, we have the little saying, and it's the, it's the proverb put into English words, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. We're bold. If, if we know that we need to do something to get a better job, if we know, know we need to do something to do this job well, then get out there and do it. If you faint, if you quit, if you get discouraged, just because there's a little bit of opposition, your strength is small. You should bust right through that opposition. That's why we talk about knocking the door down. Get in there and get that job. No, we're not taking applications right now. What does that mean to you? It should mean there's another, try some other way. It doesn't mean go home and say, I tried. Go get the job. There's a hundred different ways you can get it. Go in there and tell them you'll work for them for free for two weeks. Bold. The greatest courage in the world is not self-confidence. The greatest courage in the world is confidence in the Lord. Amen. That He's with you and He wants you to be bold. He doesn't want you to be arrogant. He doesn't want you to be obnoxious. He wants you to be bold, which means no fear. That you're going to trust Him and you're not going to take no for an answer. You're going to go look for another way to approach that company if that's where you want to work. Or your boss if you want to address something with him. No wonder David ran to meet Goliath. No wonder Esther approached Ahasuerus and so many more in the Bible. They were bold. Do not be fearful or intimidated to make cold calls or submit applications or to send follow-up. Do it. Be bold about it. The Bible tells us to. Don't be fearful to go back to school, make a career change. Be aggressive about it. Don't pretend modesty when you're in a performance review. Now, I'm going to say this, but I, I, there, is, there is an exception if you were to be totally off your rocker. When it's time for a performance review, there's no place for humility. When it's time for a performance review, the average manager today is lazy. 
He has not done his homework to document what you have done during the past 12 months. He can't even remember. And so it's up to you, and you should come prepared. And you should be able to give him a dossier of all that you have done on that job. And help him out. They'll thank you for it. And they'll usually just sign their John Hancock at the bottom. That was a great review you did on yourself, son. Because they're too lazy to do it. That's being bold. You have to sell yourself. When you go in for an interview, don't say, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm less than the least of all saints. I'm the worst worker you'll probably ever have. That isn't humility. That's stupidity. You go in there and tell them, I'll outwork anyone you've got here. Brother, I'm waiting for Zach Pipkin to get up here and go to Schneider, the number one tree-cutting company in this county. They're Baptist brothers that run it from, they're Baptist men that run it from Hampton Park Baptist Church. I want them to put their best man out there with Zach Pipkin. He's going to cut his tree down, then run up that man's tree and tie him to it before he can even get it down. You know, when you, when you see that high, high cylinder motor, you can see a person, you can tell what kind of a motor they've got in them. Is it four cylinder, six cylinder, eight, or do we have a twelve? You know, it's a good thing. We should all have that. But to be bold. Don't pretend modesty. Your interview is very important. You have to market yourself. That's the way our nation is set up. You're not stuck in a career at the age of five by your daddy when he sells you off into some profession to be a shoemaker in town. You get to choose, but when you go in, you've got to sell yourself. The Lord understands that. Even if you are a creature of habit and you usually hate changes, don't let that intimidate you or scare you. If you need to make a change, make it. Be bold. Remember what the Bible says. I just quoted one of them. You know, it's in, the, it's in Proverbs several times. There's a lion in the streets. That's in there more than once. There's cold, it's cold outside. Remember those warnings that the Bible's given us, and let's be bold. May the Lord take care of us in the days to come, because it may be very different than what we've grown up understanding about our economy.